It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit walkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schoenberg, along with Rachel Oyster. We're the co-chairs for Democrats Abroad here in Canada's capital region in Ottawa. Hello, Rachel. Hello, David. You're just impressed <laughs> I can say that in one breath. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm going to start timing you. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just recorded a whole bunch of commercials today for some uh, discount mattresses and TVs. So, yeah, good luck. Good luck yeah, get that in 15 seconds. <laughs> uh, it is Earth Day of of all days for us to be talking to our guests. You are quite right. How did we manage no, that? No, he's quite wrong. Oh, he's what? wrong. Oh, so, so that's why. Sorry, <laughs> it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm already living in your future in that's Finland. <laughs> it's Earth Day Eve then. It's Earth Day Eve. <laughs> it's Earth Day Eve. Who's with us today, <laughs> but Rachel? But it is Earth Month. And Earth Month. Well, we will let Dana have a chance to speak in two seconds. We have with us the leaders of the Environment and Climate Crisis Council, one of uh, Democrats Abroad's newest caucuses, um, Dana Freeling, the chair, and Dash Nesbitt, the secretary. Welcome, Dana and Dash. Delighted Hello. to be here. Hi. So Dana's already correcting us, which is awesome. We're yes. gonna <laughs> we're used to this. <laughs> Needing to be set straight. <laughs> but we should start off with our usual question, which is where where in the world are you? What brought you there or and keeps you there? And what state do you vote in? To be answered in any order. <laughs> Dana, let's start so, with you. So I am calling in from the Arctic. I'm in Finland in Northern Europe, and I am a Texas voter. Uh -huh. So we have very different climates here. <laughs> Absolutely. And what brought me here, um, I've been traveling the world for more than three decades, and I finally landed here after spending many years in East Asia, uh, South Asia, and Sub-Saharan Africa. But now I call Finland my home, uh, where I have raised kids and I'm pretty settled. That is quite a contrast in climates, not just from Texas, but to Sub-Saharan Africa, to Finland. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. And Dash, where uh, are you in the world and how did you end up there and where do you vote? Yeah, I'm an Oklahoma voter, one of the frustrated Democratic voters from Oklahoma. <laughs> one of many. Sherry Temple is a fellow <laughs> DA uh, Oklahoman. Right. We've bonded over it. No, uh, she's from Texas. She's an Oklahoma. Maybe both. <laughs> well, she may be from Texas and voting in Oklahoma. You don't always Maybe. vote from your home state. <laughs> That's true. Um, I live in Wiesbaden, Germany. Ah. And uh, I'm in the same chapter as Angela Fobbs, who was uh, on, a, on one of your other podcasts. Indeed she was. Um, yeah. And I'm a professional musician. I play in an orchestra in Frankfurt. Oh, how cool. Playing what instrument? Viola. Oh, that was my mother's instrument. Oh, nice. <laughs> so is and it Germany work that is... keeps you there then? Because you've got the, a great job? Yeah, absolutely. The orchestral landscape in Germany is about a thousand times more secure than North America is. <laughs> absolutely. It's uh, all state funded and people actually love going to concerts here. It's very rewarding. <laughs> All right, we're working our way through all the different caucuses within Democrats Abroad. Uh, Dana, tell us a bit about your caucus. Well, we are not 
a caucus. We are a council. Council. Oh, dear. Yes, we are named so uh, because we mirror the council formed by the Democratic National Committee. They also have an ECCC, uh, Environment and Climate Crisis Council. And I learned only recently that there, within the Democratic Committee, it, there's a ranking order and a, fun, a different function between caucuses and councils. But I think within Democrats abroad, we pretty much share the same status as a council, as a caucus. But ranking order suggests that at least within the greater ecosystem, there's <laughs> one is of higher order than the other. That makes me automatically curious. Do councils outrank caucuses or the other way around? No, caucuses <laughs> outrank uh, oh, councils. darn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Dash, why does Democrats Abroad need an Environmental and Climate Crisis Council? I think it's a critical way to reach the uh, voters, if you ask me. I think there's a lot of growing anxiety in the world about the oncoming climate crisis. And it's not actually oncoming. It's, it's started and it's here. And we've known about it for Many, many decades. Mm -hmm. Al Gore was talking about it as a congressman in the 1980s. Yeah, we've all known this. And it's, you know, it's starting to hit the fan now. And we need to act. We need to act. There's no time to waste for for everyone's future, the future of humanity, right? We have to activate voter base to make it to make it happen. And and how do we do that? To me, it's, it really comes down to public education, public understanding of the issue. Uh, the reason we haven't been able to pass meaningful climate policy is because the voters haven't demanded it from their politicians. So I think we're still in the phase of this emergency where we need people to care about it more. There's a lot of psychological biases that make people turn away from this issue. There's people assume it'll be something for 2100 and we don't need to worry about it now, mm -hmm. or it, it only affects people in other parts of the world. But uh, this is a global problem. We have to, we have to raise understanding in order to get political will for meaningful climate policy. Without right. making it overwhelming, which I think is one of the problems for. That's one of the problems. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I also think without making it, there is a political I mean, I, I don't quite understand why wanting to have blue skies and clean water would fall under any type of of political left or right spectrum. Like yeah. it's it it seems like it would be an obvious thing. Yeah. And the environmental movement really began with the Republican Party. Most of the the EPA was founded under Republican administration. It didn't used to be a blue and red issue. So how do we get back there? <laughs> well, in this day and age, not by uh, electing Republicans, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Right. So Dana, from where, where you sit in the world, when you, when you look at the United States, let me ask an obvious question. Is the United States doing better or worse than other countries when it comes to the environment? Uh, it is doing better than a few countries, but far worse than most countries in Europe on, on a statistical level, if you're measuring many factors. Uh, but we, we were set back dramatically by the Trump administration withdrawing from the climate accords. Right. But the Biden administration is making 
some progress. They just passed the large infrastructure bill, which has several components, will, which will address uh, climate change, fuel, uh, vehicles. So that's that's a start, but we've got to get the 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 climate component of what was the build back better right. on the table again. Right. We have no time to lose. We have to keep the rise in temperature below 1.5 degrees, which was agreed in the climate the Paris Climate Accord, if we want to avert absolute. Uh, worldwide disaster. And that will come very soon. And we see it in all over the world. We see it in the islands in the Pacific. We see it in, in sub-Saharan Africa. We see it all over the United States. And it's affecting all levels of society, but particularly these groups that are marginalized, that are minorities. Uh, they are disproportionately of affected by these uh, the impact of climate change. People I've, of color, people with disabilities, LBGTQ+, across yeah. the board. Something so simple as neighborhoods without trees in them being that much hotter than neighborhoods with shade. Yeah. Usually redlined districts. Right. I would just like to add that the United States is historically the world's greatest emitter, if you take the, the entire legacy of our of our country in the larger history. Um, that means responsibility for bringing the world towards um, a major change and taking responsibility for all of the past carbon we put into the atmosphere. And uh, one other important factor that has really driven me to engage with DA on the climate issue is the fact that the United States plays a massive role in global politics. Uh, a lot of politicians emulate our figurehead, uh, the figureheads of our parties, and uh, there were even countries delaying their climate decisions until they saw whether Trump or Biden would win the election, because mm -hmm. it, it would affect how they choose to make their own climate policies going forward, because the United States plays such a big role in the world. Oh, yeah, I would think you could put Canada on that list for sure. And, and part of it, it simply makes no sense, Canada being so close to the United States. Canada can pass whatever laws they want, but if our biggest trading partner isn't a part of that, then you know what difference does it really make? It's a big responsibility, and I, I feel like it's one of the biggest reasons I want to engage politically on the issue of climate. It's, it's a really effective tool. It's pretty tool. tragic that the United, well, the United States and, and China are responsible for most of the emissions. Um, but those who are suffering from them are, are small countries in the world that are really living in a state of energy poverty that need to be able to get their energy to, from somewhere. And they're being asked to chip in and pay as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem very fair. To be suffering effects from policies they have no control over whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So what- Climate justice. <laughs> Yeah, climate justice, right. exactly, yeah. So what are your goals for the caucus? What events and activities and, and uh, yeah, how are you going to help us turn this big ship around? Well, we have a, a big event coming on Monday evening, which we hope you'll sign up for and join us. That may have um, passed have... by the time 
people have heard this podcast. So, <laughs> oh, that's yes. a shame. Well, we're going to have a. Uh, it's called CO two consequences um, global global climate rally, and we're going to have an impressive roster of speakers, headline speakers, and folks from within DA that are working in various aspects of the climate space that are going to be inspiring us, some performers, some actors, musicians. It's going to be a great event. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. We have just started a new monthly uh, program to just, it's actually kind of to provide people an opportunity to voice their own thoughts and concerns around this important issue because it is it is in a lot of people's minds. And uh, so it's a Climate Cafe is the title, and it's sort of an open forum for people to have a big uh, discussion. And to uh, there's usually a, a focus. Um, yesterday on 420, we focused on hemp, <laughs> which is uh, a miracle plant. It is. And we learned a lot about uh, the, what it can actually do for the climate. It's a very powerful cover crop, which brings uh, carbon back into sequestration in the soil it really it brings nutrients back into the soil to to keep soil health uh going forward um what was our focus last month dana so uh in march as it was uh women's history month we focused on looking at the impact uh, of climate change on women around the world um, and in the month of may is aapi themed month so we're going to be uh, collaborating with the AAPI caucus and do a, a, a forum on the impact in the Pacific Islands, because we know there are islands that are sinking before our eyes, where entire populations will need to be, will be displaced. Yeah. In June, we'll have an LGBTQ plus theme, but we haven't organized that one yet. Right. <laughs> That's a nice idea to tie it to the other. And we have also um, a series called Climate Bites, where experts or passionate people are invited to do a five-minute video clip about a specific topic related to the, the climate crisis. Uh, we've had one on climate justice. We've had one on... Um, comedy as a as a means to combat uh, climate change and to get people's interest. Uh, Dash can tell you about that one. We have a, a <laughs> lot of different uh, climate bites that have been that yeah. are on our website now. You can find them on our website and we're continuing. So if any of your listeners would like to volunteer to make a climate bite <laughs> with us, we would love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we would. We had a really great one by a, a one of our one of our members about the climate impact of simply drying your clothes on a clothesline as opposed to using a drying machine. And it really is a major reduction in electricity. And I yeah, I encourage people to check that out. This month and going forward, we've created an a expansive Earth Month toolkit. Um, which you should be able to access. It will be a growing resource library for everybody to use with recommendations on books and films and articles um, 
how do you make your home more more climate friendly? What do you do at work? Um, a carbon footprint calculator so you understand better how you're behaving. Lots of lots of tools for making small changes in your own life, and most of all, how to vote because. Voting is a powerful tool for all of us. Absolutely. So everybody should really take a look. It, you just go to our, our webpage and you can click on the toolbox and there it is. That's wonderful. And, and share is- your ideas and recommendations. We're happy to add them. <laughs> Absolutely. Dash, you, you do all these events, but, but if I can sort of pick a hole in it, don't you find a lot of times you're just talking to people who already know all this? Like, how, how do you expand the group to bring in more people and, and make them understand what's going on? Yeah, I, I think it, it makes me wonder how much they actually know about this issue, because uh, the scientific predictions for what climate change will have on our societies is it's it's way more than than i i can even get into it's it's yeah quite quite scary stuff and to me that that made me just i i had no other issues in my mind i i became extremely passionate on this issue and if you look at the democratic politicians voted in we don't have enough democratic senators to pass meaningful climate policy and we have the majority. So I, th- I think there still needs to be some preaching to the choir, unfortunately, because the, uh, the drasticness of this uh, case hasn't landed. And, and is this sometimes people who are just not bothering to vote? Is that part of the problem? Or uh, we talk about up and down the ballot all the times so that you might, you know, a lot of times in Democrats abroad, we tend to vote for the higher, higher profile things, but you've got to work your way down the entire system and, and vote for everybody. Absolutely. There's so much going on at the local levels, so many important changes that can happen in local politics about these issues. Uh, simply creating the zoning rights for for uh, clean energy is, I think these are local decisions. These Absolutely. are very powerful things, tools that we need to be accessing and I also down think, ballot. Yeah, I guys- do think that there is movement in areas where rule, the laws have not supported specifically the climate agenda, but private industry has taken that upon themselves. If you look at, at California, when a lot of the regulations were relaxed, but this, but within the state, they toughened up the laws and it, they created an environment where it was to the benefit of companies to develop more sustainable practices. I think we have to get to the point where it is profitable to be green. And that is beginning to happen. Mm-hmm. Just like at COP26, they brought together financiers, industry people, entrepreneurs, climate scientists, people from all walks of life indigenous people who were direct uh, victims of climate change, everybody to understand each other, to work together, to find solutions together and to make this solution work for everybody. 
And I also wonder, I think your your climate bites idea gets at this a little bit, but it's such a big and overwhelming and depressing and frightening topic that maybe the best way to to reach people is through the tiny, small, not just the changes they can make, but the little innovations that are going on all, all around us. I actually have something specific in mind. I'm a, a hand spinner and knitter. And a oh. lot of the shepherds are looking at this, not just sheep are great for keeping your fields cropped rather than using a fossil fuel powered tractor, put a flock of sheep out there and they'll aerate the ground and they'll fertilize it and they'll keep your grass trimmed or whatever. But also things like um, repairing muddy paths with a fleece that will mat and will hold the path you know, make it firm again. Um, garden uh, pellets, uh, wool pellets, the wool that cannot be spun and used can be turned into pellets and used as fertilizer because it's rich in nitrogen and it degrades over an entire season. Um, and if you get people excited about the little changes they can make within their passions, maybe there's a, a hope of reaching people, enough people in time to make enough changes to make a difference. That is so interesting, Rachel. I did not know that. Well, maybe I should make a little bite for you or get one of the actual you shepherds. You should. I would love that. <laughs> We're getting you on to do a climate bite with us. There's a whole What movement. a fabulous topic. Yeah, there's a whole movement called Shave Them to Save Them, which um, encourages spinners to use the fleeces from heritage sheep breeds who will otherwise disappear unless you find uses for them. So it's simultaneously saving some of the gen genetic heritage and addressing climate change at the same time. Fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm thinking. If you get people excited about the little things you can do and the little ways the world can change, um, then maybe we can turn things around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It starts with each, each person's understanding first and small actions. Otherwise, I, I would be overwhelmed, completely depressed. Um, as I was when Trump was elected, I I really went into a tailspin and said, okay, now did. I'm going to do something. And I yep. found it, Democrats abroad in, in Finland. Um, it was my way to work through this by doing something proactive. And I think that for many people, doing something is therapeutic. Absolutely. Knowing that you are not powerless that you can help in, in tiny ways. Um, and even when your furnace dies, putting in a heat pump instead of a, a gas or oil furnace. Absolutely. Yeah. We did that last year when we had a water spill, ah. water damage, and we had to change our, we ended up changing our system because of it. And do you like it? Do you like the new one? Uh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I feel better about it. The prices are through the roof right now in Europe. Yeah. Um, as they are, I mean, through the roof. As you all well know, there is a war going on that is being funded by fossil fuels uh, yeah. for a number of reasons. Energy prices have, you know, gone escalated at astronomical rate. Which makes me wonder, I see there's an event you're doing tomorrow called Is Nuclear <laughs> Energy Ethical? 
That's that's DA Switzerland. DA Switzerland. Now, uh, like by the time this airs, that will have long passed. So you can answer. That will have. And I have a different opinion than than some. We all have, many of us have different opinions about Interesting. nuclear tell, energy and its tell, place in the, in our, our the goal to future. reach a sustainable future. Right. Right. And, and just out of curiosity, since, you know, that event will have passed by the time this posts, uh, what was the topic of discussion? So there's somebody who argues, yes, nuclear energy is the way to go. I, 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 would I could argue, people. I could argue, and this is our national policy, and then, then Dash is going to give you the other side of this. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a policy that nuclear is a important transitional energy until we are able to supply our industry with enough renewables because it is clean in the way that it does not put um, carbon into the atmosphere. When you say so we have a policy, in is Finland, that Finland? We do have uh, nuclear power plants, which are very safe. They're, they use technology, which is very safe. And we are not going to suffer from the withdrawal of Russian energy to the same extent that other countries in Europe are currently, you know, having. They're not, we're not having the same kind of problems. Some, but not the, at, to the same extent. Dash is going to give you the <laughs> other side of. Actually, I don't know whether you're pro or anti-nuclear. Uh, I'm, I'm pro. I'm pro. Oh, you are pro. But, uh, I think we agree. Actually, I, it is. Uh, a wonderful um, transition energy source. And Germany is a perfect example of not taking advantage of that opportunity. Uh, during Angela Merkel's time, they actually pretty much ended all nuclear in nuclear plants in Germany. And unfortunately, the transition to renewables uh, doesn't happen overnight. So Germany is burning natural gas from Russia, obviously, that's in the news a lot. But it's burning tons and tons of coal. It's a huge coal country. And the reason we can't have a clean economy in, Ger in Germany is because this nu nuclear was taken off the off the shelf very early, mm -hmm. long time ago. So but a lot of people on our council are against nuclear. And I'm pretty sure that the folks in, in Switzerland holding this event are against it. I know a lot of folks in France are, they're going to listen to this and they're going to wonder if they made the right decision appointing me as chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a very good chance it's what powering uh, my and Rachel's houses at the moment is nuclear energy because really? here, here in Ontario, yeah, Pickering, I mean, there's there's a fair amount of nuclear energy that, that Canada was also deep into. Yeah, I guess and then, that's true. And then Three Mile Island came along and, and scared off a lot of people. And it, it seems to be, even though that's now decades in the past and the technology today is very different than what that was we do seem to be hung up on this sort of concept it's actually newly in the press i don't know what it was but i just saw saw mention in the times today i think someone's just done a big investigative book about three mile island and i can't tell you who it is though no i didn't i didn't i didn't read it but i mean three mile island is still very present in oh, people's yes. minds and once again uh once again in the news it's, it's yes, what has and of course we've all been worried about Chernobyl. Yep. Yeah. Oh well, the and the Russian soldiers who had no idea what they were rolling around in when they were digging their trenches. Yeah. 
But yeah. now we're even hearing stories about these like mini or nu- mini nuclear reactors that, you know, in our country, in Canada, there's a bunch of iso- very isolated communities. They are you know, way up in the far north. And, and at the moment, they are powered by diesel generators. And we ship diesel into the to run these communities. And this thought of, well, you can do a nuclear reactor. It's the size of a house that would be enough to power a town of 10,000 people or so. And it's, it's possible, but wow, are we scared to even try it? Yeah, and the Arctic is where we're seeing some of what the... What kind of most- renewables... So sorry, I know you're interviewing us, but it would be interesting to know what kind of renewables uh, are most prevalent in, in Canada. Oh, we're horrible, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you what, have. What the- I'm sure you... You we have, as we do have some in Finland as well. Yeah. Do you mean resources like like trees and water? We've got that. Or do you mean... No, but do you... Do what you, are we you, using? Do you have wind? Um, we have wind. Sun is sometimes in short supply. <laughs> but we're, you know, we're, well, we're definitely trying with wind. I, I mean, you could drive across vast parts of the country and you see an awful lot of windmills out there. They're, mm-hmm. They get somewhat controversial because of the installation of them, the noise that they make, the amount of birds that are destroyed by those windmills on a fairly regular basis, and the inconsistency of them. So Canada has done an awful lot of work with windmills, and it's not entirely clear how successful that have been. We were very good with hydropower, and I, a, a lot of, of traditionally where Canada got its energy from was hydropower. However, I've been to the hydro dams up north. They flood literally a thousand square kilometers whenever we build one of these things. So they they provide a lot of power eventually. And you can argue that hydro does become green after 20 years once you've destroyed a whole area. But it means rerouting rivers to be able to make that happen. Canada's abundance, we just have this abundance of energy because we're a small group of people in a very large natural resource. So, and we all like our big houses and three cars. So Canada's, Canada's quite horrible at it. But you have a lot of trees also, like we We have in Finland. Yeah, no, I think Canada is poised to be a leader, but has not taken any of this or enough of the steps yet. Not at all. Interesting. Uh, Dash, I, I think a lot of people, as, as we go sort of through this and, and we explore these different ideas, like uh, to want to learn more. So when, when you think of some good resources that you could recommend, what would you suggest? It might sound funny, but I really recommend a book by Jane Fonda. Oh. <laughs> Jane Fonda has newly dedicated her life as an activist, which you know, her activism goes back to the 60s against Vietnam War, but her entire uh, activism world now is about climate action. And uh, she wrote a very excellent book in uh, 2020, I think it was released in 2020, about her um, moving to moving to Washington, D.C. in order to get arrested every week uh, <laughs> at climate protests. And she teamed up with Greenpeace, a very you know excellent organization, and they essentially wrote this book together. It's, it's, it's called, What Can I Do? My Path from Climate Despair to Action. And it is a wonderful chapter by chapter introduction to all of the different facets of this problem. And each chapter ends with uh, encouraging ideas about what you as a citizen can actually do to, infl- to uh, influence every topic of each chapter. So I really recommend that. Gives you hope and actionable goals. It's a great book. It's wonderful. That is such a great recommendation. I am going to order it. Yes. 
Well, she's a smart woman. Oh, yeah. And what about David Wallace? Passionate. <laughs> well, if you want to get really depressed, there's a book <laughs> called The Uninhabitable Earth, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's essentially a deep dive into all of the world's climate scientists' uh, carefully carefully made predictions about what will happen if we don't change our fossil fuel burnt, uh, carbon emissions going forward. And uh, they have, you know, we're aiming for 1.5 degrees Celsius warming above pre-industrial levels. And they have information about what will the world look like at two degrees, at three degrees, at four degrees. And if nothing happens in our energy sector, it'll be up to seven or eight degrees. And this is this is like hell on earth. I mean, actually, three degrees is already, it won't look anything like today. Mm -mm. Uh, there's, this is the book to, to bum you out if you're into that. <laughs> Jane Fonda we... will, will inspire you, and this one will, will, yeah. will frustrate so The Uninhabitable they... Earth, David read, Wallace Wells. Read them in reverse order. order. <laughs> yes. <laughs> First yeah. David Wallace, then Jane Fonda. Sorry, Dana. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I think it's great to read um, nonfiction and to learn what to do, how to do, but sometimes poetry, mm. sometimes uh, novels can speak directly to the heart in a way that nonfiction books can't. Um, we did a an event, I wanna recommend two things. We, we did an event with AAPI with a uh, echo poet, which was really ev everybody was moved to tears. Uh, with his, he's from the Pacific Islands, and his name is um, Dr. Craig uh, Santos Perez. Uh, he's originally from Guam, and he writes from the perspective of a Pacific Islander. He's a professor of literature, and. He also writes about climate refugees and refugees in general and about our beautiful oceans and planets and islands and the devastation that they is, they're facing today. I would highly recommend going to our website and just clicking on the link and watching him read his poems. It was a beautiful event. It's good to know there that that recording is available. Mm -hmm. And then there's a novel, which is just incredible, which I read called The Overstory by Richard Powers. Mm. Um, it's a fat novel, and I have never read anything like it. It, it, it. it speaks from the perspective of the trees, really. And it, it, it tells a story about the earth like you have never heard it before. Wow. Deeply moving. It will make you appreciate and want to preserve the miracle, uh, this miracle planet that we live on. It sounds like the ECCC needs to have a book club as part of your... <laughs> I Seriously, think so. yeah, as part of your idea. efforts. Yeah. Dana, is there anything else or Dash that we haven't talked about that you want to add before we wrap up the episode? One concern that I have, uh, which I'm sure everybody understands, is that there is a war raging next door to where Dash and I are living in Europe, as we all know. And it is being paid for by fossil fuels, basically from both sides. It is distracting 
all of us from the needed action to preserve our, our environment because fuel prices are going up. The Biden administration is releasing more oil reserves. Yep. It is a cause. Climate change intersects with these wars. And it's all the more reason that we need to act now, mm -hmm. act quickly, act boldly. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> well, you. thank you both of you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate hearing from you and, and hopefully we've inspired some people to get involved. Mm. Or at least read some books. Or at least read some books. <laughs> and join the ECCC, the Environment and Climate Change Councils. E triple E triple C, the yeah, the book club. <laughs> and follow the DNC E triple C. They do great work in DC. We're really inspired by them. That's a very yes. good idea. Yeah. I'm Rachel Oyster with David Chellenberg in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for listening to the Blue Vote Cafe. Mm -hmm.